Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Pat and the Fat Man. We like to talk about movies, sports, and anything else we feel like. I'm Pat. And I'm the Fat Man. And today, we are making our triumphant return to movies. I know we took a big old pause there to do just a ton of sports. And I want to thank everybody for bearing with us. Well, we're getting back, and we're going to finish out the big Lebowski. The big Lebowski. I finally got enough Kalula to do this. I got to be honest. I don't know where we are in the movie. <laughs> it's been so long. I, I remember we did the weasel scene or the marmot scene. <laughs> yeah, the marmot. That's not legal, man. I don't think that's legal in the city, city limits. Walter! <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter about the Marmot. Cut <laughs> <laughs> off my Johnson. <laughs> well, to refresh everybody where we left off, the dude went to see Jackie Treehorn in the process of trying to get money from Jackie Treehorn and tell Jackie Treehorn that the little kid had his money. Jackie Treehorn had drugged the dude's white Russian, which is not cool, man. Don't mess with a man's white Russian. I'll just say it now. Dude didn't want any of this. All the dude wanted was his rug back. His rug back. Man. (laughs) Right into the glass. Right into the glass. So the camera's like looking up through the glass table. So it's his smushed face there. Yeah. And the room starts to go dark. (laughs) Like what's amazing about that is it's Jeff Bridges, right? Right. Because there's no way you can stuntman that scene. Right. Because you're looking at his face the whole f***ing time. It's (laughs) he just goes for it. He just slams into that. I mean, that had to have hurt. Like you see how smushed up his face is. And then as the room goes black, the narrator, the stranger, Sam Elliott, comes on and goes, Darkness uh took over the dude. Darker than a black steer just took us on a moonless night. (laughs) So this is dream sequence number two. Like I said before, everything past the diner scene is going to be a reproduction of some kind of a scene that happened earlier in the movie. And this is the reproduction of the dream sequence. And much like the first dream sequence, it's freaking weird. Right. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. It's so many great ways, though. So you get the title card after the bowling pin starts floating across the screen. And it says, Jackie Treenhorn Productions presents. And the bowling pin goes between two bowling balls now as it's going from left to right goes between two bowling balls now as it gets between the two bowling balls the lords the dude and maude lebowski show up yeah <laughs> this, this is an obvious like callback slash reproduction of log jamming right which, which the dude <laughs> witnessed in maude's presence in the first of that, you know, his crazy interactions with Maude. <laughs> right. Finally, the whole thing pans. You see the bully pin go between the two, going straight up between the two bowling balls, which obviously looks like two balls and a penis. <laughs> yep. And it says, in gutter balls. <laughs> yep. And the song just dropped in to see what condition my condition is in. Dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. The whole setup for this is just fantastic. 
everything's shot in this. There's darkness, nothing but black and darkness in the background. You just have these touch points. Like, so you can tell it's a dream. Like, just the individuals are lighted up. It's like a music video, really. It's like a, yeah, exactly. a fantastic music video. <laughs> it really is. It's, I mean, granted, it wouldn't have been that era that was doing those kind of music videos. It would be more like nowadays. But still, <laughs> <laughs> fantastic uh, music video and the dude the dude comes on and he's wearing the the cable guy the cable outfit guy <laughs> that the narcissist was wearing in log jamming right and he's first dancing in the hallway like the entrance hallway to mod studio you know it's like this very yeah. dark you know stone wall you know and it but it looks like the hallway is bigger than him like he's somehow shrunk this is this towering hallway i don't think it's mods i think it's jackie treehorn's place that's what it seems like hmm. with the angles and the, the coloration of the what the floor and the wall is. Possibly, yeah. It looks like it's that hall right there. And it, and it, but, he, yeah, he's tiny. He's like, I don't know, a quarter size or maybe even less. Mm-hmm. He's casting this huge shadow and everything else is in there casting the shadow. But he's like walking in, which I don't really know what the symbolism of that was beyond like, <laughs> I think if I was going to call it, it would be like the dude is caught in a world that's much, much bigger than he was expecting to be. Right. And the artistic sense, you know, like the kind of mod artistic, you know, kind of stuff that weird neo, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Modernism. Right. And it does kind of fit in. It's it's, it's interesting because, you know, Jackie Treehorn lives in the sort of neo-modern kind of house you would expect mod to have if she didn't live in a flat. Right. Right. (laughs) I mean, you can tell she has this nothing but disdain and scorn for Jackie Treehorn's chosen medium. <laughs> like we can call it that. Smut, effectively. I just love that. What he fixes the cable, right? Don't be fatuous, Jeffrey. <laughs> of course, we all know what happens here. He fixes the cable, right? <laughs> Which is then kind of parodied off of Jackie Treehorn talking about, you know, the mind being the most erogenous zone and, you know, the future of erotic entertainment and the dude just parroting. <laughs> he, he goes, I still get off manually. Yeah. J-O manually. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie just sort of gives him the same sort of rueful comment, the look that the whole don't be fatuous, Jeffrey, <laughs> comment from Mod comes, which I think it's really it's a really interesting play between Jackie Treehorn and Mod, who are kind of the big money players in this whole thing. It's their game sort of against each other that both the dude and the Big Lebowski are caught in because the Big Lebowski is caught in it because of Bunny and the dude's caught in it because of the Big Lebowski, <laughs> which... It's interesting when you really sit down and look at it, like because the two people who are vying for money or for, you know, rearranging or setting up their world in the in the way they want it are Maud and Jackie Treehorn. So then the next thing we see is a guy. We don't get a good look at this guy first. So that's important because we'll come back to him. But he's wearing a parade and what looks like a bowling shirt. And he's standing behind a counter and behind him is like a whole bunch of bowling shoes at the counter. And so the guy turns around, like at this point, like as you see him, he's starting to turn around. So you don't get a good look at him, but it's obviously the counter at the bowling alley and the bowling shoes. And the guy starts turning, starts looking for all these shoes. And as he's looking up, the camera pans up with him and the shoes just go on forever. It's just like a whole tower of bowling shoes. And then as uh, 
we come back down, he turns around, he's holding the bone shoes, and you see it's the face of Saddam Hussein. Yeah. And so you have you have two kind of like two things going on here. You have a callback to the bowling alley, because that's where they witness the whole, you know, this aggression will not stand speech. Because that was playing kind of behind where you would get the shoes or, or behind the bar at the bowling alley. And at the same time, you get the visual of the never-ending bowling shoes, which is sort of a call to the fact that, that this is the dude's life, right? right? Like stretched out before him is what he's going to be doing probably for the rest of his life is, you know, drinking and, and bowling <laughs> and smoking weed <laughs> because that's what he does. <laughs> and so he hands the dude these, uh, these pair of bowling shoes that are silver and gold. And then the next thing you see is the dude dancing down these black and white stairs like to the music. And it's like this whole He's snapping his fingers. He's really getting into the music. But he's still wearing the cable. Right. The motif is sort of like cable guy has just gotten off work, did not change, and is now gone bowling. Right. <laughs> and as he's coming down, the camera changes, and you see at the bottom of the stairs is a bunch of showgirls, a bunch of dancing girls in golden and red outfits with these huge fanned bowling pin headdresses it's right out of like the 1920s like 1920s and 1950s like stage show where the women have these like elaborate sort of costumes on top of the dress that they're wearing the sort of deal going on like it's a play and the kind of thing you saw in movies up until probably the 70s right if you watch older movies they always have these set pieces in them where they have the actors and actresses or maybe even other but there's always a band playing or you know, a musical number or heck, even like White Christmas has this like avant-garde, like artistic musical number, like in the middle of the movie. And you're like, what What in the F just happened? <laughs> right. And in the back of those girls in the center is Maud dressed up as a Viking. And behind her is a bowling alley. <laughs> it's just one lane or is it the whole alley? It's just one lane and blackness on either side. <laughs> Now, of course, the staircase that the dude is coming down, you see on either side of the staircase are stars. And it's like the stairs are taking him up into the sky. <laughs> Except he's coming down. So he's like coming down from, from the sky, from the stars. Yeah. Toward Maud Lebowski. <laughs> and the Viking outfit is accentuated by the fact that the breast cups are bowling balls. Yes. And she's wearing like a Viking helmet. And a trident. <laughs> I got to admit. I got nothing on that. Like, there's a lot from the screen that you can pull visually and you can see this is what the director is trying to call attention to. And this is what the story is trying to why she's a Viking. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> and it should be noted that as the dude is dancing, a lot of hip movement is involved. <laughs> yes, there is a lot of thrusting in the direction of the problem or non-problem, depending on how you want to term it. <laughs> right. <laughs> The next thing we see as the girls are, so the girls are dancing around Maud. And then the next thing we see is a hand thrust up into the air, holding a bowling ball. We see that it's the dude, like he's holding Excalibur. He's just holding it up in the sky and admiring it. Like it's a Excalibur. Yes. Okay. So here's possibly where the Viking reference is. (laughs) The dude has come down from the stars, like a, like a Viking God. Right. And now he has received his weapon from on high. And his, you know, Valkyrie bride is there to meet him now that he's down on the playing field. (laughs) That's all I got. I know it's a stretch, (laughs) folks, but that's all I got. (laughs) 
it's a trippy dream. <laughs> so he approaches Maud Lebowski from behind and, you know, takes her hand and gives her the ball. And he's like trying to show her how to bowl. Like that romantic thing of how you try to show someone how to bowl, you know, you taking their arm and moving it and all that. A little bit of a call to ghost, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it was a thing. Like, that's the, always the reason why you take a girl bowling is because you could show her how to bowl personally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't remember ever, ever that ever being a thing, but okay, I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Listen, you lived a sheltered life then, all right? <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we take a look down the, the bowling lane, and then the dancing girls come on screen. They start walking down the bowling lane and turn around and then straddle the lane. <laughs> so you're like, huh, okay. <laughs> you're like, uh, all right, that's interesting <laughs> but okay i get it it's like a normal set piece from a 1920s like you know style movie type thing it's a little bit of titillating okay all right <laughs> and then modern and, and the dude do a wind up like a full windmill wind up the bowling ball and release it down the lane and then you see like the perspective of the bowling ball going between the lady's legs down the lane and then you come to realize it's the dude going down the lane, going down between the legs of the ladies down the lane. He's floating across the lane. He's not touching me. It's like he's flying again. And he starts flying down the lane face down towards the lane and then slowly turn over. So he's facing up, looking up underneath the dancers dresses <laughs> <laughs> this brings in the uh the jackie treehorn style of movie that we, that we were told the gutter ball right <laughs> right he turns back over and he's gonna hit the bowling ball or the bowling pins and you see he's like screaming like oh, i can't stop and the bowling pins go flying <laughs> it goes black and the next thing you see is the topless girl on the trampoline from the beach party from before <laughs> shortly after she goes off screen then we see oh what's his name the weird european guy <laughs> yeah nihilist and this is where things get really weird because like he's in like a uh, red leotard like full body suit bright red and he's holding a giant pair of scissors that he's like chopping yeah and he's coming at the dude and the dude sees him and he's like panicked and then the two nihilists are the nihilist friends like the, the three of them start coming into view all holding giant scissors running at the dude <laughs> and he's trying to get away scared <laughs> both the dream sequences have like their happy dream part followed by their nightmare part the transition to between both or i think for both of them is like the rolling down of the ball Uli was the guy's name really yeah and so you know once he hits the pin after that we've entered the nightmare portion and so we go to the nightmare piece of this is we're gonna cut off your johnson <laughs> right. Lebowski. <laughs> right and funny enough the mighty lebowski <laughs> one of the sidekick nihilists is flee from Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought he looked familiar. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, they're chasing him. And then you see from the dude, he's like trying to run away from them. And it all starts turning to black. And you're looking at the dude as he's running down the road. And suddenly the blackness turns into the street at night. And cars run going right by him as he's running. <laughs> as it transitions to reality, you get the, the notion that, indeed, he is, in fact, running from you know, mortal danger here. <laughs> He's right. just doing it on the street. <laughs> right, in the middle of the street. And of course, what happens then? A cop pulls up 
behind him. And that's pretty much the end of the, the dream uh, right. sequence. So, you know, I think the what the director is primarily attempting to convey within that format is that Maud is the way out of this whole thing. Like, like he needs to go to her or, you know, effectively, like... AKA foreshadowing what's going to happen next between him and Maud. So you get kind of both like the, the mod being pointed out as sort of like the protagonist or the, the side of this conflict between her and, and Treehorn that's going to pay off in the end, at least for the dude. And then also foreshadowing the interaction between the dude and Maud that comes later. I just think he's just mixing all of the events that have been going on in his life. I mean, the, between Jackie Treehorn, the pornography, and Maud, he just kind of just chanted it all together. <laughs> That's sort of the format it's presented to you. And that makes sense for, you know, typical dreamscape, right? It's like when you wake up in REM sleep and you realize, okay, these things happen in my dream because I was dealing with them beforehand or whatever. Well, at least sometimes. But I think what the director was trying to get across was, was the mod connection for the most part. And sort of also the jumbledness of the dude's mind. <laughs> Which, yeah, it's basically like a trash can. <laughs> so then uh, once you see the cop car behind uh, uh, the dude, it transitioned to the back of the cop car with the dude just completely out of it and seeing the theme song to Bonanza. <laughs> and... <laughs> Yeah, he's just like completely wasted. Or branded, branded, it <laughs> branded, was that's branded. Right. He's singing branded. branded because that's the callback to the kid, right? right. His father, his father wrote. was a writer. Writer, yeah. And then uh, he gets thrown into uh, the police chief's uh, office and thrown into a chair. This scene is. Uh, Except for another scene coming, I think probably the most actually violent scene right. <laughs> in the movie. You know, and that's saying a lot for Walter having pulled a gun on a guy. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, no, 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 nothing came to blows in that scene. And like this, this scene is so ridiculous because like every moment goes from zero to a hundred just like that or you know from zero to 11 like that and then back down and then back up and it's and it, it's just you're like why is any of this happening <laughs> like i i get it kind of but holy crap man <laughs> and so when he gets thrown in the chair by the cops you know and then you see the police chief and they throw uh, uh, the dude's uh, wallet at him. He opens the wallet and there's nothing in there except for a Ralph's grocery store value member card yep. <laughs> and the etching from Jackie Treehorn's uh, place <laughs> of the man with the large penis. <laughs> with the large wing. And, you know, after etching it, he's just kind of like, what? <laughs> Why did he draw this? <laughs> And so this is where we get into it. You know, the, the, the sheriff gets into it and, and the dude's like, I know my rights, man. I got to get my phone call. I'm going to call my, you know, name tree horn, name lawyer, whatever. <laughs> and then the, the chief's like, well, Mr. Treehorn tells us that he had to throw you out of his garden party. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then that you were drunk and abusive. <laughs> 
<laughs> the dude's like, Mr. Treehorn treats objects like women. <laughs> <laughs> so you can tell that that he's still a little out of it, if not a lot out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chief police like, well, Jackie Treehorn draws a lot of water around here, and you don't draw <laughs> Lebowski. Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna tell you right now, I don't like your, I don't like your jerk off name. I don't like your jerk off face. <laughs> just <laughs> he just starts laying into all. You know, and this this is sort of like this the stereotypical what you would kind of expect. Okay, this this cop from California is encountering a hippie and he doesn't like the hippie and he's been basically given you know, leeway by some rich folks in the town to abuse the hippie. Okay, fine. Like, all right, this is sort of lazy. I don't like your jerk off name. I don't like your jerk off face. I don't like you, jerk off. <laughs> is that clear? And the dude just deadpan looks yeah. at him. And, and he does it in this like slow, like, I don't like your jerk off name. And I don't like you, <laughs> jerk off. <laughs> In this slow, kind of methodical, everything is reasonable about this scenario. The, it's just what you would expect from this interaction. And then the, the dude just deadpans, just stares right at him and goes, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. <laughs> and then right then the cop throws the coffee mug right at his head. <laughs> Hits him right in the right, head. And it like slams right in the forehead. And you're just like, what? What just happened? <laughs> like we went from zero to 11, 60 miles per hour, like a in three seconds. Or not even three, you know, a quarter of a second. He's just sitting there with the coffee mug. After that, the dude, I'm sorry, man, I wasn't listening. Like, almost immediately, just fling, like, straight arm flings. There's no, like, reach back and throw. There's, like, it's just, right into his head. <laughs> the dude goes falling back, and then all of a sudden, then the, chair, the chief is, like, on him. He's like, keep your ugly ass out of my beach community. Then starts kicking him. Stay out of Malibu. Stay out of Malibu, Lebowski. <laughs> just like where the f did this come from like, and the dude's like knock it off you fascist <laughs> and you're like you know what i have to agree with the dude on this one <laughs> it's just it just takes that cup to the head like you're just like what the hell Thinking there's no way that this scene would somehow top the ridiculousness of the of the scene you had just witnessed before, which was a dream sequence, which was obviously very trippy and strange and, and ridiculous. And then somehow, somehow, with a mug to the head, the cop break, <laughs> breaks the ridiculous zone. And you're just like, I don't I don't know how you keep doing this movie. I don't know how. But every scene. Every scene, <laughs> and then the next thing you see, because it's so you think, man, it can't possibly get worse. Oh, just hang in there. <laughs> the ride's not over yet, folks. <laughs> and I kind of connect this what happens next to this scene, like they're they're kind of combined because it's just the dude just getting the whole day's. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs>
And so the next thing you see him is in the back of a cab and this Eagle song comes on and the dude's like, Hey man, could you change the channel? (laughs) The cab driver's just not having it for whatever reason. What I love about this is the cab driver, like the cab driver is an African American, large African American male who's wearing sort of the African-ish, you know, kind of thing that was big in the 70s and 80s, you know, with like the flat hat on on his circular hat that's flat on the top and the sort of, was it purple that he's wearing? Or is it black. yellow? You can't really tell because the whole place is dark and it's at night. But he's listening to the Eagles. And then what happens next is just, I'm just sitting there going, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> How did this transpire this way? <laughs> Why? As soon as he says, can you change the channel? The cab driver's like, F you, man. If you don't like my effing music, you can get your own effing cab. <laughs> Which, hey, this was something we could totally expect from a cab driver in L.A. in the 90s. Totally there. Completely there. Except it's he's talking about the Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the Eagles, but I'm me. <laughs> I don't know how else to put this. <laughs> Very unexpected. And the dude's trying to tell him, like, I had a rough day, man. He goes, like, and the cab driver starts telling him, I'll pull over and kick you out. <laughs> and he goes, look, I've had a real rough day, and I hate the effing eagles, man. <laughs> and so suddenly the cab driver crosses lanes, cuts cars off, pulls over, gets out and throws Lebowski and the dude out. <laughs> man, I hate the eagle. And I, hate, I really hate <laughs> Just pull. I mean... Two lanes of traffic into the side so he could get out of the car and wrestle Lebowski out of the <laughs> car <laughs> and then drive away. You're just sitting there thinking, I don't I don't know how that happened. <laughs> like, dude, <laughs> you must have already been really pissed off. <laughs> yeah. So the dude's standing on the road watching the cab drive away. And this convertible just starts cutting or just tearing down the road past him. And in the car, we see Bunny Lebowski singing Viva Las Vegas by Elvis. Viva Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. She's singing and dancing. And the camera focuses on both of her feet. And guess what? She's got all of her toes. She has all her toes. Walter was right. (laughs) Get your toe by 4 p.m., dude. Walter, it's not about the toe. (laughs) Dude finally makes it home to find that the place is just completely trashed. TV busted. Everything's torn apart. But the dude forgot one thing. He forgot the doorstop that didn't work that he nailed to the floor. So, of course, he trips over it. (laughs) It's just the sweetest revenge possible. (laughs) That little doorstop. He hits that... Just watching him methodically nail, nail after nail into that piece of wood to get it there. And then, you know, it turns out his door opens the other way. (laughs) It's just... (laughs) And just walks in, trip. But, you know, looks around, sees the place is completely wrecked. Even more so than the three nihilists who came in and jacked his place up with the uh, cricket bat. And the two treehorn guys at the very beginning. (laughs) Yeah. So somehow his place has gotten completely destroyed yet again. (laughs) So he's there lying on his back and he looks up. And who should come from the back of the apartment? Maude Lebowski standing right over him. 
Yeah, which we've been in this situation before. <laughs> Last time we were here, he got punched in the face. Yeah, this one's slightly different because he's like, what are you doing here? And she goes, love me and make love to me and takes off her robe. And so at this point, you're like, well, I'm at the lunch. <laughs> I just, I'm just, You've done it again. You've done it again, movie. You took three situations that are completely believable in some respects and you... You turn them completely nut job, ridiculous, crazy on me in the span of, I don't know, five minutes. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, it's this rapid fire. Cup to the head, kicked on the ground by the cop, followed by thrown out of the cab for disrespecting the eagles. <laughs> followed by make love to me. And you're like, so is karmic justice. The dude's day had a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing we see is the dude striking a match and lighting a joint. And as he's doing this, he's trying, he's listing off all of these um, like real hippie kind of things. Like one is like the, the port Huron statement. And I've looked these up. That's how I know that they're hippie, like manifestos really. Yeah. You know, and he goes, Oh yeah, I was one of the original authors of the port Huron statement, the original port stir, uh, Huron statement, not the compromised second draft, you know, it's just saying all this like ludicrous <laughs> stuff. And you're like, there's no way. There's just no way. He, he's like, it's like the, um, the hipster version of being a hippie. Right. <laughs> you know, I did all this stuff way before the other hippies did it, man. You ever hear the Seattle seven? That was me. <laughs> and there were six guys. There were six guys. <laughs> it's so funny because, like, this is the kind of talk you would have a guy maybe make, like, in a bar trying to pick up a woman, right? But right. this is – he's he doesn't – like – They've already done it. <laughs> like we're post coital here, and now he's bragging. Like I don't just like kind of like get quit while you're ahead. I guess. And what's best is like the next thing he says is like a workaround. He's like, and I was briefly in the music business. I was a roadie for Metallica. <laughs> he's like bunch of holes, <laughs> which is something we all thought at that time because of the whole Napster thing. If my career slowed down a little these days. It's like, yeah, that's what a deadbeat would say, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, it is sort of like the only real look you get into, like, what the dude's life was possibly before he was the dude. Because as far as you can tell, like, going into this, the dude has been the dude forever. Like, there's no backstory to him. There's no future to him. Like, we already saw that play out in the dream sequence. Like, as far as we know, he's just been a beach bum his entire life. And then he's sort of does but doesn't confirm it <laughs> you know he talks about his college days he talks about the you know the fact that he didn't really do much in college other than smoke weed <laughs> you know and he talks about these ridiculous you know i was one of the seattle seven but there were only six of us and <laughs> even the bum has his like grandioseness about himself sort of like statements going on here <laughs> you know and then she asks what he does and he's like you know bull drive around the occasional acid flashback <laughs> and then she asks you know what happened to your apartment he's like oh yeah jackie treehorn you know he, he got me out of the way while his goons looked for it here looking for your father's money and she was like oh well, i told you it's not my father's it's the foundations uh and you know and then he's like why did he think you had it and 
And he tells her about the kid, you know, this high school kid being a real brat. And he's like, you know, this is a very complicated case, Maud. There's a lot of ins and outs. And, and, and fortunately, I'm adhering to a pretty strict drug regimen. <laughs> <laughs> And just, <laughs> just is trying to. In this scene, as the audience, you're just trying to recover from all of the s that happened over the last five minutes. You're just, you're just like, what is going on? Somebody throw a pie. It's like the craziest <laughs> night of, of a college party, and then you wake up going, "Boy, I can't tell if that was the best day of my life or the worst day of my life, but it was, it was probably one or the other." <laughs> Yeah, it was something all right. <laughs> and so as he's talking, trying to make a drink, you see that Maud is adjusting herself on the bed. And at this point, she's laying on her back, clutching her knees to her chest and starts rocking back and forth. And pretty much at the same time as the dude, we're all asking, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> it looks like some weird yoga stuff, but then... What the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know, she's having to remind him that it's not the money isn't her father's. It's the foundations. And, you know, that father doesn't have money. And he's like, what do you mean? He's got tons of money. He runs stuff. It's like, no, nope, he doesn't really run anything. He administers the charity now. And, you know, he gets an allowance <laughs> and that he doesn't have any money, money of his own. You know, and that he's, you know, a very vain person. That's his big, you know, weakness is that he's a vain person. <laughs> so then. The dude finally recognizes what she's doing. He's like, oh, what are you doing there? Are you doing some yoga? And she goes, oh, it increases the chance of conception. Dude's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What is happening right now? He like spits his drink out. He's like. (laughs) And you're all like, well, (laughs) (laughs) like you were kind of getting a little more insight into the big Lebowski and like what was going on there and. And everything and Mod's like, Yeah, I want a baby. And what did you think this was for fun? He's like, Well, kinda. And, and, and he's like, What I need to tell you. She's like, Oh, don't worry, I'm not looking to marry you. I just need someone's I just need the genetic material. Yeah. Just need, just need a donor. And, then, and this was easier than, you know, I guess the other ways at that time, which very true. Still now. And so the dude comes to realize, <laughs> as we all are now, that the doctor that he went to see before that Maud sent him to was a reproductive doctor. <laughs> was in fact very thorough. Just like he said. She said. He's good and thorough. <laughs> and he was. <laughs> <laughs> so they just move on from that. And she asks what happened to his face. And he goes, oh no, the chief of police of Malibu. He's a real reactionary. And he's just like... You're like, I thought this scene had a chance to just calm down just a little bit, but nope. (laughs) Nope. We went to the dude being Maud's chosen genetic material, which you really got to question Maud's sanity on this one. I'm sure she has a lot of options. (laughs) And I know like her reasoning. She went for the dude because there was no chance he would ever want parentage rights. And I get that, but it's the dude. I mean, talk about a question mark. <laughs> I don't think you can get a bigger question mark. <laughs> well, especially with somebody with so much money, you're just like, 
So you want to have a child with the deadbeat. Nowadays, that would be like the worst possible scenario, <laughs> right. right? Because eventually somebody like Walter is going to get a hold of the deadbeat's ear, find out about the story, and say that the deadbeat needs to sue the rich girl <laughs> <laughs> to get some money. Like that that's how this plays out. Uh, yeah, so I just I mean it's a different kind of style of ridiculousness, but I think it still it still makes the quote. You're still left like what? <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Really? <sighs> and you're like, all right, all right, film. What else you got for me? <laughs> all these things start coming into his head, you know, when he realizes about the big Lewowski's not having money of his own and whatnot, things start falling into place. So he goes and calls Walter. Apparently, <laughs> this is uh, uh, Saturday. The dude's calling and he's like, Walter, you need to pick up. This is an emergency. <laughs> and, you know, it's an emergency. Pick up the uh, the effing phone and it's an emergency. And finally, you hear Walter pick up. What, well, dude, dude, what's going on? He's like, I need you to come pick me up. Come pick me up right now. <laughs> dude comes out of his apartment and he sees the, the guy that was tailing him before in the, uh, in the bug. Yeah, in the bug. Yep. <laughs> He starts, you know, going. He's like, at this point, he's had enough. All the ridiculousness is over. This is all ending right now. We're taking care of all family business. <laughs> so he starts walking up to the car, and he's like, "Get out of the car, man! Get out of the car!" <laughs> and and this is this fat guy, and he's trying to hide behind a paper, <laughs> like he doesn't hear him. Yeah. He's like, "No, no, no!" Dude pulls him out of the car. He's like, "What? The, what do you want? What do you want?" He's like, "Hey, man! Hey, I'm just, you know." Just trying to learn from you. I'm just trying to see how how you, how you operate because I ain't never seen anybody work, you know, both sides against the middle. <laughs> and he's like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, "I'm a PI. I'm a, I'm a private detective. You know, I'm working this case." <laughs> yeah, and I know I know nobody can see me. I'm just shaking my head, like, <laughs> just just back and forth, like like what? And he goes, "I'm a brother, Seamus." <laughs> It's like what, like an Irish monk? No, I'm with uh, private eye. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> he's like, <laughs> like just like you. And he's like, what? <laughs> and he explains that he was hired by Bunny Lebowski's family to track her down and try to convince her to go back home to some Midwestern state. <laughs> what? What? What is her name? And it's not Bunny. It's or is it Bunny? I can't remember what he calls her. But, like, the reason you know it's Bunny is because of the picture. Yeah, uh, Knutsons. Yeah. Who are the Knutsons? <laughs> and that, this is where you learn that, like, I guess Bunny ran away from home and, like, went to live the typical L.A. dream and ended up as a trophy wife. It sort of explains Bunny's side of the story, which is sort of like... Okay, I'm not sure why we needed to know that as the audience. <laughs> like, why did we care about this? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just so weird. Like this guy, he thinks the big the the burn. Uh, he thinks the dude is this genius who's playing, you know, Jackie Treehorn and and Maude Lebowski against each other in this weird game of like chess. And and we all know the dude has literally been in a drunken or high or drugged stupor for, <laughs> for roughly a week and a half now, <laughs> stumbling between these two sides of the ball. So the guy explains, yeah, her family wants her back. Uh, shows a picture of her in high school as a cheerleader, and then he goes. 
they want me to show her this. It's a picture of the family farm. It's a black and white picture of what looks like a really desolate farm. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, they're from, it's a farm outside of Moorhead, Minnesota. So it was Minnesota that she's from. <laughs> He's like, yeah, they want, they, they think it'll make her homesick. You know, I'm just trying to track her down. <laughs> And, you know, he's just like, yeah, just, you know, trying to learn from you and, you know, get in on this case. <laughs> and dude's like, man, she ain't here. She was either kidnapped or maybe not. I don't know, but she ain't here. And he's just telling you, stay away from my special lady friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Walter pulls up in his van and then gets in. So then he gets in the van and drives off. So now we switch scenes a little bit. We go to this diner scene where the nihilists, all of them are in this diner. <laughs> And it looks like a looks like an IHOP because like the menus the menus in the shape of a giant stack of pancakes, and uh, they're all ordered the same thing like Lingen, uh, lingonberry pancakes. Lingonberry, yep. So you know, typical weird Europeans. <laughs> yes, there's a bunch of strange Europeans in a Denny's in the middle of the night. A couple of them, or at least one of them, doesn't even speak English. Or the girl, she doesn't speak English because the guy's having to translate for her. And yeah, they're getting lingonberries because that's, you know, Nordic. <laughs> Anybody who's been to Aldi knows. <laughs> and so as they zoom in on the group, they zoom in on the only woman at the table's uh, foot and it's bandaged up, missing a toe. <laughs> so once again, you get to, you know, Walter was right. Somebody found a toe. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and it's, you know, her other toes are painted green. And so you get this the instant. Oh. Okay, this was her toe and this and so like almost instantly Walter has proven literally a hundred percent right. <laughs> <laughs> She's off in Vegas or whatever. They uh, have faked the kidnapping and they got a toe and you're like, ah, you don't want Walter to be right, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> you know Bunny's not kidnapped, so you know he pretty much is. And then this is just sort of the, this is where they got the toe from. But you still don't want Walter to be right. Right. <laughs> but he is. The dude starts, you know, telling Walter basically everything that really has happened at this point. All of a sudden, it all becomes clear. And what it is, is that, you know, Jeffrey Lebowski, the big Lebowski, set the whole thing up. He didn't really give the dude a million dollars. He loaded uh, uh, the briefcase with two phone books, so it had the weight of a million dollars, and sent them on their way, knowing that the dude was probably going to screw it up, and then he could just pin it on him. Because he points out how, despite yelling at the dude, he never asked for the money back. He never gets it back. And he knows that Bunny Lebowski is just a trophy wife, so he doesn't really care what happens to her either. But he makes a big scene out of it, so that way he looks like the loving husband. I'm trying to remember. Well, like, There's some music playing at this. Uh, Amazon, it's uh, Stamping Ground with Meredith Monk and Bob Dylan. Like, There's nobody talking, explaining this. You just see this stuff happen. I don't know the dude's saying stuff, but I mean, yeah. He was basically narrating it all, but... <laughs> After the dude explains all this, Walter goes, okay, but how does all this add up to an emergency? <laughs> I'm saying, I see what you're getting at, dude. He kept the money, but how is this an emergency? <laughs> it's Shabbos, you know, the Sabbath. <laughs> I'm not allowed to break. <laughs> I'm not allowed to break it unless it's an emergency. <laughs> so at this point, the dude's had it with Walter. He's like, come on, man. You're not even Jewish. He's like, what are you talking about? It's like, you converted for your ex-wife, man. You're not really Jewish. <laughs> and, and again, folks, I'm just shaking my head because I, you know, at this point in the movie, you're just... 
you're, you're like, of course. Of course we somehow got here. Like, how would we not? Walter found something to, like, go off the lid on. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out to be Shabbos. I mean, like, like just the fact that he's right. He was right about literally almost everything. And all he gives a about is the fact that it's Shabbos and he's driving. And it's just like, I... Oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just... Walter, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and the dude's like, you know, this is all just part of your sick obsession with your sick or with your ex-wife, you know, taking care of her dog, going to her synagogue, you know, and, then, and all of a sudden Walter just starts getting really defensive. It's a three thousand years tradi- of beautiful tradition. <laughs> You're right. I'm, I'm living in the past. And <laughs> like, I, I honestly wonder how, like, how offensive all of this stuff was to Jewish people. <laughs> Because I feel like I'm proxy offended some of the times, <laughs> some of the things Walter says. You're just like, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and then as they pull up to uh, the big uh, the big Lebowski's house, they see that the uh, red Corvette is now half hanging into the water fountain. <laughs> Engine light's still on. Everything's still running. It was just like, drunk lady just drove right into the fountain. <laughs> yep. Or at least tried to, because half of it's in, half of it's out. <laughs> <laughs> like to remind everybody about the website, uh, patandthefatman.com. We also have a Facebook page, just Pat and the Fat Man, and we are on Patreon, and Pat and the Fat Man. We do appreciate support for the podcast. Patreons do get exclusive content. We released one of those a couple episodes ago, uh, the WandaVision stuff. We do other stuff. We also let Patreons choose things that we review. So, Definitely give us give it a, a check out. You can give us a buck, a dollar a month. That would be amazing, <laughs> or or as much as you know, five dollars or ten or twenty or however much. Everything helps, folks. Yeah, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, a dollar a month would be fantastic. That would help us absolutely. If every listener gave us a dollar for every time they listen to a, a you know, or a buck a podcast, that would be fantastic too. <laughs> We're know. gonna finish up the Big Lebowski here real soon, and then we've got another one planned right after that. So we're gonna keep these moving. Movie uh, um, contents coming to you. Hopefully, a little more regular regularly. Things are a little bit settled down now. Just hang in there, folks. Again, sorry about the wait. We appreciate you listening. Appreciate your feedback. Please give us feedback. Let us know that you're listening. That way, we know we're not just uh, talking to ourselves. <laughs> yep. And please, uh, you know, if if you listen to us on uh, some sort of app. Rate us, rate us, and highly rate us. We appreciate <laughs> if you gave us five stars or or a thumb up or, or you know, whatever, whatever, however you listen to it, whatever podcasting software you use, if you could rate us and highly rate us, we would really appreciate it because it helps the algorithms in those apps to spread the ad, to spread the show, which we really do appreciate. Thanks, everybody, for listening. It's been another episode of Pat and the Fat Man. I'm Pat. I'm the Fat Man, otherwise known as Bruce. Stay classy. Take her easy, dudes. All I can do is shake my head. <laughs> oh, and I feel like I'm like, you know, like it's even worse because I'm sober. <laughs> yeah, definitely a movie you should drink heavily too. Can do. Yeah.